We're back and working through the archive of episodes that were previously recorded and never published. I believe this show was actually recorded sometime between Halloween and Thanksgiving, since there are a few references to the Haunted Hayride. In this show, Mikey and I get a chance to sit down with Donnie of DNR Labs. Donnie has been a member of Strongtown since the beginning. He is generally one of the most interesting people I have had the pleasure of meeting, and his breadth of knowledge never fails to impress me. Anyone who knows Donnie knows that he's always on the go, he's always willing to help, and he also seems to know just about everyone. He has been the MC at our Battle for the Bell competition multiple times, and he is generally the reason our gym sounds as good as it does. We were a little tight on time during this recording, so the conversation focused on his personal background and what brought him to start DNR Labs. We'll be getting him back on here in the future to discuss some of his hobbies, which include flying planes, skydiving, volunteer firefighting, and creating a standalone radio network, amongst many other things. I have to thank him for giving up his time to talk with us, and if anyone is looking to follow him, there are links to his company's info in the show notes below, and you can also find him on Instagram at Donnie underscore Dimmer. Thank you. I hope you all enjoy. Welcome to another episode of Strongtown Talks. I am your host, Dan Gallagher. This is a show where we talk with the people and friends of the Strongtown community. I think we're good. All right, so guys, welcome to uh, another week, another episode of Strong Town Talks. It's been a little while since we've done this. We, this is a uh, different episode for me today. I have a special guest. We are here today with Donnie Gamsjagger. Donnie has been a person who I've been harassing to get on the show for a while now, like literally months, I think. And he's a hard person to track down. He's literally probably one of the most interesting people I know. So Donnie, welcome to the show, man. Dan, you guys are the most interesting people I know. Don't I, I, flatter me. I, I don't believe that with your life. International man of mystery. Touche. So, Donnie, whenever I get someone on these shows, I like to do a little bit of background. This I know you're a little bit limited on time for today, so this is sort of like an intro to you, and then I'm hoping to get you back on here in the future because I think you have a lot of cool stuff to share. Be a two-part series. Yeah, it could be. Um, you grew up in Woodbury. I just uh, grew up in New York. You grew up in New York? Yeah, uh, born and raised uh, uh, Long Island, Brooklyn, okay. you know, mainly center, you know, Brooklyn, then center of Long Island. And uh, when I was about nine years old, my father got a great job in Connecticut, so they decided to come up and live in Woodbury. Um, there's way more to that story than that, but I'll never yeah, forget yeah. the first time at the Curtis. We, we were looking at houses in Woodbury, and we stayed at the Curtis house. Like you know, I was like nine years old over in Woodbury. This is like 1996 Woodbury. It was a different yeah. world then, you know what I mean? Um, and we found we looked at only one house in Woodbury. Parents loved it. They bought it. I'll just never forget my first night in Woodbury, spending the night at the Curtis House. So, like, <laughs> like what a welcome to like Woodbury. Curtis House in 1996, mm-hmm. Curtis House, too. Yeah, which was probably not, anyway. <laughs> not really updated at all, still. No, they're doing better now. Oh, yeah. Not better now. So, yeah. So, so then, you know, moved to Woodbury at nine and uh, have been in Connecticut ever since. So, did you start in Mitchell School or middle school? Or? Fourth grade, yep. And um, it was quite a drastic change from New York public school system. There's like a lot of major differences in infrastructure facility because I'm like an infrastructure guy, right? Even as a kid, I could care less about anything that school is teaching me. I was like, I want to know what the HVAC system is. I want to <laughs> know what the paging system is. I want to know what the phone system is. You know, I don't care about books or gym or anything. I cared about, you know, I, I'll never forget. It. I was like, all right, we're moving to Woodbury. It's going to be a new school. Maybe it's an auditorium. Maybe it has a gym. I don't know. It was a gymatorium. I was like, What's the PA? I mean, well, I, I wasn't saying the word PA at that time, right? <laughs> but I was like, what's the sound system? Who makes the sound system? And like immediately, like all I did was sneak around the school and be like, right, what's the paging system? I just, I didn't care about school or girls or any of that kind of stuff. I just cared about speakers. 
did your parent like what's it's kind where, of but like where did that what sparked that because I, I feel like where did my whole technical interest come from well i remember growing up i was in schools i remember they always had like the, a pa thing there'd be announcements in the morning so you do the whole pledge of allegiance and then uh, but i was never I, I guess it's just one of those things but like, just i was never i was work. never curious about it like i always just accepted that speakers were a thing nobody's curious about it <laughs> <laughs> well At obviously all. people are yeah um, so the whole electronics thing or sound or video kind of sparked from a Christmas light incident. Um, I just was like, as a kid, at three years old, my parents told me that I just kept playing and plugging in Christmas lights and wiring up Christmas lights. They didn't know why I just loved Christmas lights. So one time I was like a three-year-old completely naked playing with Christmas lights and I had them all on the floor. And apparently I sat like my butt on a Christmas light. It shattered Glass went in my butt. <laughs> I got electrocuted and burned. <laughs> At three. At three. I'm wrapped up in Christmas lights, electrified. I had to get like brought to the hospital or an urgent care. I don't know what there was back then. I don't know. It was like a, just you went to like your pediatrician. I don't yeah. remember. I don't know. It was just 1996. Feels like a million years ago in my world. But like, yeah. And then they were like, ever since then, like, you were just like, let's go to Radio Shack. Let's. <laughs> so they couldn't leave me alone, right? They, they, I like just take apart the TV. At like four, I'd go to the kitchen, I'd get some tools, I'd take apart the TV, I'd take apart the VCR, sometimes put it back together, sometimes destroy it. Uh, they had to put all the sound, like my dad's stereo, to like go up as high as possible so I couldn't get to it. And that was it. That was like, that's it. He doesn't care about video games. He doesn't care about the swing set. He just wants to take things apart and put them together. If electricity, like a Calaris, about mechanics, engines. Yeah. I wasn't taking cars apart. I wasn't touching, I mean, Legos were cool and everything, but like you didn't see me doing like Lincoln Logs or, right. you know, Connect, whatever. So um, I just remember my parents were like, yeah, you just never wanted to go to the toy store. We'd be in the mall and we would walk past the Disney toy store or uh, at Toys R Us. I don't even remember what the toy stores were back then in New York. There was some independents in the mall that were cool. And um, I'd be like, Radio Shack is how I'd say it, right? Radio Shack. <laughs> and we would go to Radio Shack and I would just buy like resistors, LED lights, batteries, whatever. And I would just go home and for hours on end solder. I had a soldering iron in the, in the second or third grade, which is what puts you at what, like six, seven years old, right? Around there, maybe. Yeah. yeah. That was like the first thing. I was like, I'm going to buy a soldering iron. And my parents were like, oh, that's like a hot 800 degree <laughs> thing that you melt wires with. And you're like, you know. You don't even drink coffee yet. Right. Um, so we've got a soldering iron. And basically at six years old, I started to teach myself how to solder, which is, you know, not most six-year-olds are down with a weller in their basement making cables. It's just not what you do. So that was like my big thing. I set up a workbench in my parents' basement on Long Island. And then I took the whole basement over. We would collect speakers from tag sales, speakers on the side of the road. If we were driving on the road and I saw any type of pro audio equipment. Yeah, yeah. Not so much home speakers. I really didn't care for home speakers. I only care. It was very, I was very particular. <laughs> it was a very particular unique taste for like somebody under 10 years old being like, I'm into audio, but wait, no, I'm not into that audio. That's a home speaker. I want a pro grade speaker. I want a DJ speaker. I want a band speaker. Like we would literally drive past tag sales and we walk around and I was like, oh, there's a million speakers here. You want to buy them? I'm like, nah, it's for your home. I'm a pro, <laughs> you know? So, and then I filled my parents' basement with that stuff and became the lab, the lab. I mean, the name DNR Actually, dates back to Long Island, back to the history. Stop me any time, Dan. I'm no, no, giving... no, you're, you're good. I like. I'm enjoying this. Yeah, I didn't know this stuff about you, so yeah. I, I apologize. Yeah, well, basically, I got shocked in the ass, and here we are. But yeah. like, <laughs> um, so what kind of happened is I just kept collecting this equipment, 
kept soldering, kept building, and it, and it kind of drifted towards audio. Um, audio was a little bit more like available, like you would find used speakers and amplifiers in the side of the road. You very rarely found used video because video was still kind of, you know, video equipment was still very expensive. Uh, video equipment was back then kind of built to last. It would go into a studio and be there for 10, 20 years, mm-hmm. like a deck or a video production switcher. So you didn't find those on the side of the road like you would find audio. So the basement of my parents' house on Long Island just grew and grew and grew with freaking junk, right? Like electronic audio junk and and little lighting and whatever I could get my hands on. And they would call it the lab, right? So in third grade, me and some friends, um, I had two really close friends on Long Island, a kid named Neil, a kid named Ryan, great guys, local guys. And um, we started doing the AV for the elementary school talent show. We went to Wisconsin Elementary School. And I'll never forget. This was in third grade. Third grade, yes, because I moved in fourth. Okay. So, so they're like, we're going to do a talent show in the gym. You know, and I was like, I immediately was like, listen, I got to get involved. I mean, I, I was such an asshole. I would just like literally get get up in front of people and be like, I'm Donnie. I want to do the sound. They're like, you're in third grade. We have a custodian <laughs> for that. <laughs> you know I mean? So um, I was like, this is, here's an idea. We don't own any lights. There's no theatrical lighting in our gym. Let's take overhead projectors with colored sheets of paper to light the stage. So we took a bunch of overhead projectors, me and my friends, I mean, and we wheeled them into the gym and we ran extension cords and they had like a small stage set up on risers. And um, I told like people to take Sharpies or colored markers and fill in sheets of clear paper and that would be our coloring on the lights. Right. So we basically lit the stage with overhead projectors, which, you know, was quite the feat at third grade. And um, it was Donnie, Neil, and Ryan. And we're like, all right. So then we just kept doing like the concerts and, you know, events in the gym. Like, you know, just, it was fun. So we're like, what, we should call ourselves something. And we're like, Donnie, Neil, and Ryan. Donnie, Neil, and Ryan. So DNR, this is 1995, right? Mm -hmm. So then we would go back to my house and play in the basement. And we called it the lab. So we're like, DNR labs, DNR labs. So the whole thing kind of came from someone. Because people were always like, oh, it does not resuscitate. Do you know what your name means? Like, yeah, right. it's a running joke, but you'll never forget it. Um, and they're like, oh, that might be, you know, the people with that name, uh, it's really unique. But but also in the medical world, that's like death. I'm like, well, are you going to forget my name now? Yeah. You know? So, um, but it has meaning. Like, we didn't just pick DNR. Right. It has meaning. I mean, those two guys, I mean, that was third grade. We didn't have any legal paperwork as a partnership, but <laughs> so they're not really around anymore. But, and then, you know, DNR, I kept the name, I kept the concept of doing events production. And here we are almost 30 years later, if you think about it, at least 25 years later as a business with employees doing exactly this and on a much larger scale you've graduated from elementary schools and i mean once in a while we do an elementary school auditorium we got to right. don't ever forget where you came from dan don't ever forget where you <laughs> came remember from. the roots remember the roots yeah i mean you can't be completely bogged down with elementary school installations but you know what just don't forget where you came from right and so you, you came to uh you came to woodbury you were here in the fourth grade and um dnr moved the shop the, the messy messy basement from long island was packed and moved and a new lab new lab was set up in it yeah i give your i give your parents a lot of credit for sort of like supporting this oh yeah this eccentric it was very eccentric in the basement the entire basement habit of yours yeah yeah that's kind of when i really got into lasers when i moved to connecticut lasers came <laughs> when connecticut when we came to connecticut because i was like well i'm really into this electronic stuff and we went to a planetarium in West Hartford, and at the time, yes, yeah, it was called the science. I don't remember the name because they had to change. It's <laughs> still kind of there, or is there's like no, a, some it's sort very, of- it's very there. I, I'll come to that in a second because it was like kind of a full circle on this whole thing with lasers. Um, 
It was the Connecticut Science Center at the time, or it was like the Science Museum of Connecticut. It was it was very unique, and it wasn't just a children's museum. It's now just the uh, the children's uh, children's science museum of West Harvard, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's not called like the Science Museum anymore because the Connecticut built like their own big one up in Hartford, which I think is called Connecticut Science Center. So Science Center of Connecticut would, in like only one city over would confuse everybody. So anyway, we went to see a planetarium show, like a traditional star planetarium show. My father took me and I heard they had laser shows, but they only did them like in the evening for adults. And this was like laser shows were heard of back then. It was like gas fired, water cooled, like unbelievable the feat to do a laser show. It was a single one color you know, or not one color, but white laser. They did colors. I mean, it's just totally unheard of. Completely analog system. So I went over with my father to the guy, the planet, the, the projectionist. I wish I knew his name to this day. It was this really mid middle aged gentleman who you know, and he was like dressed. He was like actually dressed in like a planetarium uniform. Like unbelievable, like re- like, like real experience, <laughs> like right? official. Yeah, it was real official. Like you don't see that stuff. You don't go to a planetarium and someone has a planetarium uniform with a bow tie. This is not how things are anymore. And uh, he's like, oh, I'll fire the lasers up. They take like ten minutes to warm up, and you know, he's like, oh, if you're interested, I'll show you like five minutes of uh, of our. Batman Seal show, you know, it was like Seal, Kissed by a Rose, and crazy, <laughs> great album. Classic song. Oh, Classic. Yeah, really underrated in my mm-hmm. opinion. Oh, very much. So we watched like five or ten minutes of the Seal laser show, and I'd never seen anything like that in my life, and I was like, that's it. I gotta know everything about lasers. <laughs> I gotta know. And then, then I come find out like any laser costs thousands and thousands of dollars, and I was, well. Not find those on the side of the street. <laughs> no, no, they're in laboratories, and they cost thousands and thousands of dollars, or they're in planetariums, and they cost thousands of dollars. So, that's like where the laser thing sprung. And then basically through high school, a solid state lasers became available. I was able to buy them and build my own projectors. I mean, nothing of any caliber to what we're doing now. And then I kind of took a hiatus from that and found some free time and found that saw laser, the cost of lasers had dropped substantially. I'd always stayed with it. I'd always kept up with the software that managed lasers and all that kind of stuff. I was just like, ah, I, I always kept it in the back pocket. I was, you know, once in a while, I'd bust out a laser and create some animations or work on a show or do some stuff, but I never really had good equipment. Long story short, cost of lasers came down. I found like a couple suppliers for me to buy some stuff from eBay and from some local people and finally like established better relationships with real manufacturers of laser projectors. And I really took off with it. I really, really went to town purchasing equipment, trying to get like something built. Uh, not so much for a business. It, it, it is turning into a business. It's getting somewhere as a business very slowly, which is fine. But more if it's a hobby or something fun to do. And yeah. um, and just for people that aren't aware, I apologize. I don't know who, who listens to this show. It's mostly our members. And I think they know you. But you do do, like you have a Stranger Lasers show coming up. So you do do laser shows at different town halls and for communities and stuff like that. We do that. a lot of outdoor stuff. If any of our members got to do the Haunted Hayride in Woodbury, the laser part of that show is done by Donnie also. Okay. The finale of the Hayride, you, you go through the you go through the uh, graveyard, and at the very end, you come through like the Michael Jackson Cemetery, which is <laughs> incredibly morbid if you think about it. That's pretty, yeah. yeah whatever. <laughs> Who cares? It's Halloween. Be yeah. whatever you want to be. Right. And uh, there's all these, the, it's like the thriller loop. Like it's a, yep. you know, just like the clapping of the thriller, the dance scene. And there's all these dancing skeletons projected on gravestones with lasers. And then you pull around the corner and we have like this projection screen that rises from a grave and with laser beams. And it's a dancing laser, Michael Jackson. It's, it's laser <laughs> though. Very I mean, cool. it, it's terrifying and entertaining at the same yeah. time, yeah. however you feel about Michael Jackson. But, <laughs> so it's been very successful. But you know, those don't really make a ton of money. They're more for fun and keeps the crew, and the crew who's into it is really passionate about it. This mm-hmm. is not, it's not just a light show. It's, it's very much art. Lasers are very much art. Like light shows are art too, but lasers are a completely different form of art. 
Uh, you know, people are like, oh, are you artists? Do you paint? Do you anything? I'm like, no, no, I do lasers. Lasers is my form of art. So anyway, where I was going with this whole planetarium thing, I eventually reapproached that planetarium in West Hartford. And I said, hey, I kind of got my laser bug or my kicking lasers here. Do you guys still have a laser system? And they're like, we barely can keep the heat on. We, you know, we're doing okay, but like, no, like it, people don't come to planetariums anymore. They have 55 inch or 86 inch screens at home. Why would they come and get entertained in a dome? Well, you know, back then there was no internet. There was a right. TV. You either went to the movies or you watched a small TV at home. There wasn't anything visually incredibly entertaining like OLED TVs now at home or TVs that light your walls or something. You get an experience, right? Yeah. The threshold of how entertained people need to be to come out, well, it's dropped a little bit because of COVID because everyone wants to come out now. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, no, they're, so I reapproached planetarium. I was like, hey, so, and they're like, no, we have nothing. I'm like, well, what if I brought some of my stuff and planted it here and, 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 and let you run some of the shows I've created as well as some shows that I've purchased from other laser creators that are of professional quality. And they hemmed and hawed a little bit. I'd read, you know, honestly, there was, it was met with some rejection from some administration just because of what's it's going to cost to operate this. Uh, a free laser show might not be free, you know? And you know, we went through it and all that kind of stuff. And it turns out, you know, we installed this system, we did the show, and it, and, and I'm not so sure if this is true or not, but multiple people on staff have said the dome star shows were kind of dying and the attendance was really low. The planetarium was cons was being considered the seats removed and just install exhibits as more exhibit space because of the poor attendance to either sales or free shows in there. When we brought the laser shows in and we brought in educational laser shows and we tuned them and tweaked them and we made it both fun music and there's actually some like science that is learned. Like there's a show about the planets. There's a show about like time and history. Uh, there's a show about you know, travel to space is a show just about lasers, right? Just in between, like we throw a cotton eye Joe in, you know what I mean? And there's visual 3D beam. They said that they sell more tickets to the laser shows daily than they ever have in the last year or two years to their dome star shows. Wow. So he said, I can't directly tell you that you saved the planetarium, but in a way your laser show has brought new life to the planetarium. And this is the planetarium manager. His name is Ian. He's a great guy. And he's just like, I'm pretty sure you've saved this because they were talking about removing the seats, gutting the projectors, and just turning it into a public walkthrough space, which would have been a shame because it's a beautiful planetarium, yeah. the Jenga stone. So I'm not sure, but that's the rumor. Uh, and then I also was invited to speak at their gala, which was cool about lasers and how I got my start with lasers at the museum and how I brought it back full circle. So yeah, long story short is this museum got me into oh, it. That's a really cool story. And their time of need, I don't want to say they were in time of need, but like I kind of went back and said, Hey, cause of you guys, let's, let's do this. And they run show. I mean, they're running a show right now. I just got a text from me and the show's running. You know what I mean? So it's like, you know, things are going good up there, but that's kind of the whole laser full circle on I, and, and, but that's one of many facets of my hobbies. But sorry, Dan, go ahead. Well, you know, so I'd always assumed, and I, I, that's a new story to me. I never knew that. But like, I'd always assumed you got into lasers because of some of the stadium and audio stuff that you were doing were concerts. I mean, you, I know Fish used to have like amazing light shows. So a lot of bands sort of travel around and, and their laser show is kind of part of their performance. So I, I thought that was your initial exposure to it. I didn't realize it was because you went to a planetarium and, and, basically like the pilot lay you into the into the uh, cockpit <laughs> of the plane for a little bit yeah that is definitely what went down and it was honestly i visually remember the experience more than most major technical breakthroughs like there's there's some visits as a kid like going to an imax theater like the there's a museum in new, new jersey outside of new york that's got an incredible imax theater and they had a ton of lasers too they had a 
they had something that I actually never seen before and kind of want to bring back. And there's a side project I'm working on right now in Washington, D.C. I would expect nothing less from you, Don. Yeah. So they, they had like a movie theater that would play a 35 millimeter educational film about some form of science. And then they overlaid lasers to highlight certain parts of the movie with film. And it was incredibly unique. And it was like a, I don't know if they called it like the Discovery Theater. I don't remember. I, I wish I could remember the specific names, but these places change names of sponsors mm-hmm. and who donates the room at that time and what renovation and what administration, you know. Um, and it was really, really unique. And then the other thing that this museum had out and about was they had like open air laser displays in clear plexiglass cases that shot lasers through like the main concourse of this museum. So like my point being is these things were really visual. I love everything visual. Uh, I remember things really well when it's visual to me. And this museum was really visual on lasers. The planetarium in West Hartford was very visual. I very much remember the equipment that was there. I remember the person I talked to. I can still picture his face today. But And I asked the museum, like, hey, you know, back in 1990, who was the auditorium? And they're like, ah, oh, we got no records of that. It was <laughs> burned up by the laser stuff. <laughs> <laughs> the lasers. Yeah. So anyway. Very cool. I'm trying to remember the name of a movie, and Mike, you might remember this, but it was, it was like a 90s movie. It's Revenge of the Nerds where they shoot the laser to the sky. Is that what it was? To, like, to do the popcorn. I remember it was like a big like laser. Or with Val thing. Kilmer, the one with Val, Val Kilmer. Kilmer. Yes. Um, secret something. I forgot. Top secret. Top secret. Top secret. Yeah, they're basically like when he lives like a scientist. Yeah, it's just it's it's like a spoof, it involves lasers. It's like a spoof movie type thing. But there was, was a, a serious one. Some kids in like mm-hmm. school too. There, I remember. Like they basically shoot a laser through like the whole school. Yep, I think it was top secret. I think it was called. Yeah, Val Kilmer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that I mean, Dan, I've spit, I've just talked and talked and talked about the background. But <laughs> kind of where we are today is, um, you know, DNR has actually turned into a business, or what? It to me has always been a business. I've always taken it really serious, but it is. Um, I've actually never had a job. Yeah, and I, I didn't want to blow up your spot, but I mean, one of the things I've always been impressed by with you is that you've literally never worked for anyone but yourself. Not true. So I, I did work at a farm stand downtown Woodbury, right across from Sam Reno's at the corner of Middle Road Turnpike. Okay, it was, was, was your mom's no, stand? No. Dave, Dave Cole's. He was well, that's yeah, yeah. Bill Fita's uncle. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Cole. Yeah. I worked for him, and basically I sat there, and if somebody caught, came in and wanted cherries or corn, I would you know weigh it, sell it, count it, take the money, and then I'd go water the plants. And I did that. I started that like summer of eighth grade, you know, just to make some money. It was kind of cool. And I didn't mind it. And uh, I hated the watering part, but I liked the ringing people out, interacting with customers, shucking corn for mm-hmm. people. Oh, man, I shucked more corn than you would ever imagine. <laughs> Don't give me a dozen corn. I'll have shucked in a minute. Okay? <laughs> and then, um, yeah, so that was my only job. And it wasn't like, you know, it was like part time. And, and I worked for, you know, this guy, Dave, and he was good to me. And I was fine. I was, you know, I rode my bike down and rode my bike up. It, it was really low key. And what happened to that is like, and I was, I was still actually, I was like DJing and doing stuff in eighth grade, like making money, um, doing gigs. Right. But we're talking like, I'd make like $75. Right. But what happened was what kind of really sparked the, my, maybe four month thing as a job over one summer. I mean, if I worked for him, I worked for him maybe June to September. Mm-hmm. That's the most I've ever had a real job for another boss. Um, I got a call from a family friend who owned an amusement park, uh, quasi. And they're like, Hey, we don't really have an audio company to install stuff. They're family friends. We know you're really into this. Maybe we could work out an agreement. We understand that you're, you know, like a kid, Um, but there's some opportunity for you to come in and spend some time in the park, uh, to just help us with our sound issues. we got a budget, but we don't want to make you an employee. I was like, really? No, we want to like make you a contractor because you know, we don't need a full-time audio person here and you're right. And you 
probably don't even know what you're doing yet. And, you know, so that's kind of where I was like, all right, I went to the farm stand guys. Like, I quit. He goes, okay. I mean, he didn't care. Yeah. So, yeah, what does he care? You know what I mean? I'm shucking corn. <laughs> I mean, back then it was, I mean, now he'd be like, don't quit. There's no labor. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I went and started doing the music park. And then I was like, okay, this is it. I'm going to have my own business. I'm going to work for myself. I'm going to grow this. I'm going to do audio. I'm going to do video. I'm going to either do events. I'm going to sell it. I'm going to rent it. And things have pivoted. You know, we've gone left to right, left to right on whether we're a rental company or uh, an event company to installation, but we've definitely fallen right onto we are an installation company with very, very light rentals of production management. So it kind of all started because of Quasi. Um, you know, went from the farm stand to Quasi, and this was in eighth grade. So my freshman year of high school, I went in, no job. I was gigging, doing events, you know, doing installations. I, I had to get an LLC, you know, when I was eight, right. when I was a kid. But did that give you, so did the Quasi thing give you, I, I guess, I don't it's know what you call it, like a bit of like credentials or a little bit more confidence in yourself? Because you were going into high school. I feel like I remember hearing about basically Donnie would get called out of class to go fix an AV issue for the school where it was, they were. There's a little more to that story. Yeah. So, so the, I'd say that. So in eighth grade, well, so Woodbury Middle School is a really unique uh, middle school experience in the sense that it had a TV studio and a tech ed lab. That does, that stuff actually did not exist in our school systems in New York. Like we didn't have that. Like not that I went to middle school in New York, but I just remember seeing the middle school I would have attended in New York. It didn't have a TV studio or a tech mm. ed lab. It had a wood shop, which you know was cool, but it didn't have like the. Those are dying breeds now. That yeah, now you can't I, find those. I don't think a yeah. wood shop exists in. I mean, if you find ten wood shops still in still in schools in Connecticut, I would be surprised. Which is a shame. It's a whole separate topic. Yeah, but so like, I remember like really getting involved with Elaine Peck. She's super cool. I still stay yes. in touch with her. She's awesome. Her husband Steve's a drummer, and actually Elaine has a lot to do with my success too. With some introductions to her brother-in-law, who very much was a mentor and helped me build DNR, and is uh, very much the same thing that DNR does. He has a very successful business doing audiovisual installation as well. He's at a Southington. But it was honestly, Elaine Peck was an initial mentor kind of person that like really got me my hands into like a video system, video environment, audio. I mean, Woodbury Middle School, I was super involved in all things. So there was kind of like a change of fate. There's something very unique that happened. Up at the high school, there was a person that was doing like all the tech in the auditorium and everything like that. And he- Was that George Gross? <laughs> No, but I know him. That's a whole separate. <laughs> we could talk for days, Stan, but I don't think anyone will yeah, hear yeah. our war stories. Um, so there was a change in like command of like who's going to run all AV and audio video in the auditorium, and it went to Roger Parkhouse. He had lost the wood shop, and they were basically yes. like, "Here, you're going to either like start a TV station and run the auditorium, or you're not going to work here." It's kind of like the ultimatum I heard that happened. So, um, basically. He calls down to like Elaine Peck because, you know, they're both tech ed wood shop teachers. He goes, ah, you know, you don't need, you, you know, we, we might all need to collaborate on this. Like, I'm going to run the TV station. She goes, I got just the kid down here. He says, maybe we can send him up to the high school after school and he can like, you know, work with you guys in the auditorium and stuff like that. So in seventh grade, at the end of the day at middle, middle school, I would take the bus up to the high school and I got dropped off and I did AV work in the auditorium and the high school. And then I started doing lighting and sound for the high school musicals when I was in seventh and eighth grade as like, you know, the lighting guy or the sound guy. That's where I met Mark Polanski. Mm -hmm. And they came up with a name for me because they're like, wait, there's a non-high schooler doing high school events here. So they called me the fetus because I was <laughs> unborn. <laughs> yeah. So long story short is, yes, I got integrated into the Nanawag High School AV department 
at seventh grade. So by the time I was a freshman, I was then in charge of the AV department with Mark and we handled all the overhead projectors, video projectors, TVs on Carson Grant. There was no smart boards and nothing like that. You yeah, wheeled, a, those. Yeah. You wheeled, wheeled an, yep. yeah, you wheeled yeah. a Toshiba wheeled TV. In the TV. You wheeled, wheeled the TV <laughs> and you dumped a VR. Movie oh. day. Yeah, movie day. Or, and, and the thing is, like, people would steal the VCRs. We had to, we had to like, take the VCRs and put chain links in them and stuff. We, we, we were busy. We, you know, I mean, yeah, we did a lot of, like, like screwing around in the AV room. That was fun. But so during the day, like, we only had so many TVs in the school, right? So I'd have to like leave class to go move a TV from room one to do, you know what I mean? Mm. Like we had a whole system with slips and we eventually got away from that because we ended up getting so many TVs that we could keep like a couple TVs in each wing of the school and like a teacher would just move it on their own. But it, when I started, we literally had maybe five TVs on carts in the whole building and we were moving them around all day into classrooms mm. and changing overhead projector lamps and stuff like that. I would get called out of class all the time. So they gave me keys. I had a key to every classroom. I had a master key to the building. I had an AV room with a desk, a phone line and a computer. I mean, that was just unheard of having internet access, <laughs> a phone line. I mean, that was just not a thing. We had a fridge with sodas. I kept milk and cereal in there, microwave. We had, you know, computer workstations. It, it, it was like really a unique experience. I never used a locker. I'm really grateful for that. I, I feel bad for you guys. I feel like lockers sucked. And they did. I, well, actually, I lost AV room privilege at one point, so I did have to go to a locker. Um, you know, there was, there was some terror. There was an absolute dictator ruler kind of principle that came <laughs> in and just tortured the hell out of me for a couple of years. So I did lose some AV room access thanks to that guy, but uh, that all kind of panned out and worked out in my favor and I was back. But, um, so yes, AV club was a huge part of my life. And I think I kind of built my business on a lot of experience from that, but I also recruited, I mean, half of DNR, Half of the key people that are still with me were like at Nanawag with me in the AV department or doing right. the musicals or like, or my friends that I went to high school with. It's, it's a, I wouldn't say it's a 50% of the company. I'd say like a, I'd say like an eighth of DNR is, uh, is alum of Nanawag that worked with me there or I worked with them or they mentored me. You know what I mean? So very cool. And I've done a lot of rambling here. I've, I've kind of taken off track. No, I was kind of curious, like, how did you, Academically, how were you doing at that time? Were horrible. Involved? Oh my god, I was like a D student. I was oh, the worst. Oh god, I was the worst student. Are you kidding me? Uh, you know, I have ADHD and all this kind of stuff. I wouldn't take like you only want me to take Ritalin or whatever those fun drugs are. But no, no, no. I was a horrible, horrible student. I didn't care. Uh, I was pretty good at physics and actually uh, did all right in math until we got to calculus. But I, was it because you didn't care or you felt like I didn't you care? Like so, like you know, you know so with people that have severe ADHD like myself, if you don't care about it, you. Because you're, you're very knowledgeable, Don. Like, you have an ability to learn things that are very technical. And thank you, Dan. I, I think you can almost learn them by only sort of deconstructing them, which is very impressive, and then trying to, like, put them back together and see what works and what doesn't work. I think it's frustrating. Some of these tech programs and some other things have sort of left schools, like the woodshop and some things that... that um, yeah, that we've gone away from all things vocational. I'm not saying the woodshop is the future. Uh, but it, not everyone learns academically out of a book through just no, sort not, of, yeah. Not me. I, I wasted so many. I, I took so many classes. I should have taken the bare minimum. I really should have. Like I was taking. Mikey like, was a very yeah. I was taking calculus at senior year and AP physics. So that that I did pretty well with was physics. And I'm actually not disappointed that I took physics. Um, but like all the math classes, there was so much I could have been doing with my time uh, elsewhere in the auditorium and such. Uh, I, I, you know, we could get into a long conversation about the educational system and the way it is now, but like, I just can tell you from my experience that if I didn't have the AV department or I didn't have the auditorium or I didn't have a video production department to 
be involved in, I think my high school career would have been incredibly unsuccessful in the sense that academically I was a D student and socially I was kind of, you know, not, you know, I was a tech nerd, right? Like I wasn't part, I mean, I was partying a little bit. I had some great friends in high school and I had a great time in high school period the end, but I think it wouldn't have been as good or it could have been an awful time mm -hmm. had I not had those programs which I was interested in. And I was never lazy. I put in a lot of, this is a lot of Obviously, kids. Obviously, yes. A lot of kids, if they're interested in it, now granted, you're not like going to have like a video game department at the high school where they're only interested in video games over math. Give, right? give it time. Yeah, mm -hmm. Well, the coding video games, right? That's the future, yeah. right? I can't believe, you know, and there's some people are doing like video game coding lab. Oh, yeah, you can just oh, yeah. e-sports e now and wait yeah, for those teams to start happening. Well, that, that's yeah. a whole, that, that could be a whole podcast. I'm involved in a lot yeah. of that stuff too. But like, it's unbelievable how we you know, granted, you can't have every, you can't build a high school where there's 25,000 different offerings that are not traditional book, book smarts, right? But I think to force so much upon people who don't care and they, and yeah, they probably need some level of that to get educated. It's just a barbaric, obsolete system. And I think a lot of people agree with me on that. But, you know, we don't have an answer to how do we provide these programs and tailor them and structure them. That, that, mm -hmm. that, that could take some time too, you know? So, but yeah, I'm with you, Dan. I, I horrible student. I could care less about regular class work. Care less about going to class. I just wanted to work. I wanted to do things. I wanted to be physical with this equipment. Learn about this equipment. Produce better results with this yeah. equipment. Yeah. No, I, I get. It. I think sometimes it's just about finding that you know whatever that interest is to spark that um, that curiosity with people. I think we all have it for different things, and yeah, you've always had this for technology and for uh, electronics or whatever it might be, which is also very cool. Don, I, I want to be respectful of your time. So you said about a half hour, right? Like thirty-three minutes right now. Well, we can keep going. I mean, I, I, please, this is your this is your podcast, Dan. Okay. I know you have some structure <laughs> to this, so. I mean that that kind of gets us through high school. I, I know you did go to college for a little bit, and yeah, I dropped out of two colleges. I'll tell you what, college was valuable because I learned some some difficult people skill issues and some relationship issue. You know, just just. Not like relationships romantically, but just well that too. But like relationships in general with people, because like I was king of the castle when I left Nanawak, right? Like I had keys, I ruled the world, I knew everybody. If there was an event going on, I was involved, or I knew people who were involved, production wise. And I'm not saying I had a monopoly or anything, but I just had a great time, and I loved working with everybody. I had relationships. When I went to college, it was I went to the University of Hartford, which I actually genuinely enjoyed, and, and a lot of good came out of there. Um, but I didn't finish. Um, was wow this is a whole new world i'm nobody at all it's like starting over but it's like starting over like like when i went to you know nanawag i already already in there for a couple years mm -hmm. you know so i was integrated in but i went to university of hartford and nobody knew me and nobody could care about what i knew i had i had lived in a little dorm with i was in a triple it was brutal it was it was literally like an unbelievably terrible experience um I was like, this sucks. I'm nobody, you know, it, it, I care less about these classes. Uh, so, but what did, I did, did you try to get involved with their AV stuff? Yeah. Up there so, at all? so like, not much, not much was welcoming the campus in terms of like, they were somewhat self-sustained in that. They didn't want to know any freelance like that. They had like their own departments and those departments didn't want to know me. Everyone was so unfriendly there. I learned how unfriendly people can be when I came to, um, to college, you know, it was a different world. So I got involved with the radio station on campus and that kind of gave me some sense of purpose. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I, I felt like I had no purpose there besides to go to classes I didn't care about. And I grant I was taking classes about electronics and audio, 
I regret all that, actually. I really do. I wish I'd taken business classes. I wish I'd gone up there and done anything about entrepreneurship, about business, about uh, anything to do with accounting for a business. Mm -hmm. I wish I sat through classes where they taught us how to do circuits that I knew how to do in sixth grade. So I was like, this is cool, and I love this, and I can do this in my sleep, and I'm passionate about this. But this is a lot of hours in the day to sit here and learn about circuits, and I have no intention of building or designing circuits as a career. I have the intention of building a company that does this. Do you know what I mean? And and I regret that. I will tell you that. Like, And I wish people maybe going into school, if they're really passionate about something, well, maybe don't go to school for just that. Go to school for something else that will help you drive that passion farther. Because just having a skill set, like if you want to go to school and be a lighting designer, but you want to go further than just being a lighting designer, you want to firm. Don't just go to school for lighting design. Go to school for lighting design and potentially some form of business or management mm-hmm. or communication or marketing. I don't know anything but just lighting design. And that's some advice I wish I could give. Go back to myself, but I didn't. I didn't, I didn't stay. I said this is. I made a lot of people. I made a lot of friends. I built a lot of relationships to the radio station and just just class. Um, but I decided to go. I was as well failing out of that and just not doing well and wasting money, and I took a little bit of break and I picked it back up at CCSU in their theater department. Um, which was kind of cool. I actually didn't, in the theater department, didn't really have a big AV side of it. It had more of like a construction management, uh, stage management, show management, wood, uh, wood shop. <laughs> and, uh, and I actually took classes in that and some, and then I also took some business classes at CCSU and those were unbelievably helpful. I took classes about like theater management, production management, like everything to do with non-technical theater, live performance, rock and roll. And that, those were incredibly, incredibly valuable to me. And I don't regret those at all. And I took a bunch of business classes. But yet again, I lost interest in school and DNR was starting to take off and getting busier and busier. I had employees at that point. So I as well dropped out of CCSU and here we are, you know, never went back. And I don't regret it. People are like, oh, we want to go back and finish. And I said, college is not for everybody. And I know and I have a lot of people I hang out with are not necessarily into college. They're entrepreneurs as well. And it doesn't mean college is bad. doesn't mean that you can't be a successful entrepreneur if you go to college. I'm just right. saying if you don't think college is for you and you're passionate and you want to be an entrepreneur, I, and time is so valuable, right? Time is the most valuable resource in the world. There's nothing more valuable than time, in my opinion. You, I, will argue to the, I will argue all day long that time is the most valuable thing. So if your time, your time is really valuable. So if you're passionate, you want to have a business, you want to be an entrepreneur, you want to be whatever. I mean, you you should focus on going to like an online school or being mentored or spending mm-hmm. any minute or hour you have available to learn about that versus going to college to get a degree. Now, granted, if you want to go get a job like a doctor, nurse, lawyer, you got to go to college. There's no talking, you know, there's no getting out of that, right? Right. But, but I just, I'm, you know. I'm not a believer, and I know a lot of places will hire you if you don't have a college degree, so you take a risk there, but I think the risk is worth it. I think there are a lot of options outside of college for people nowadays. I, I think I, I, it's growing. And I, I do think, myself included, I mean, I started off college, I had no idea what I wanted to do, which is why it took me, I think, seven years to get through. And I, I kept changing my mind about, you know, I want to do computer science no let's do graphic design no let's do liberal arts and okay landscape architecture sounds good so i mean it's kind of i I think a lot of people go through it just because it's sort of the next step but i don't think it necessarily has to be that next step i I think there's a lot of very successful people who who who've gone sort of the the road less traveled yeah absolutely um if you want to do something you i'm a big believer in going the other direction than people right if everyone's going one direction go the other way um, I mean, I could go on all day with all these 
philosophies and thoughts I have about entrepreneurship. But I will tell you that uh, with DNR and and having employees and having customers, it brings me great joy to you know build a business that provides for others, right? Yeah, there's me and I make my living off of it too. And, you know, there's hardships and there's growing pains and there's always disorganization to work on. And you're always working on your company and working for it. It's very tough balance between those two. But um, it is such a nice feeling to know that you and your actions as a business owner provide a weekly paycheck, healthcare, benefits, and a better life. I get kind of my... You, you euphoric high on when I play matchmaker for people with jobs. I get calls from customers all the time. Hey, we're looking to hire a full-time AV operator in this facility. Do you have any names? And I think of who would be a good fit for that. Mm-hmm. And that person potentially their life could be changed. Now, I'm, not, I'm not saying that I'm their like God or I'm their gift maker. I'm just saying like I've had a couple scenarios where I've had a pretty large theater that we've done do a job and and whether they're union or not, they, they say, we want to get like a sound guy here. Do you know? And I'll, there's one incident that really stood out. I'm not going to give names just cause it's kind of personal, mm. but it was a pretty big theater in Connecticut and they just got a huge installation from us. And they came to me and they're like, we really, we, we got a really good crew, except we're just missing a good sound guy. Now, who do you have in mind? And I knew a guy and he was working like a really crappy nightclub gig. It was awful. And he was a really seasoned sound guy. And he was about to have a kid. And he had just gotten married. He was barely making ends meet with the money. He didn't have health insurance. And I knew he'd be the right guy. So long story short is I played matchmaker and matched this guy up with this particular theater. And he got the job and he got health insurance and he got benefits and he got a raise and he could support his family. And granted, all I did was the introduction, mm-hmm. but he on his own would have, they, those two would have never been connected, maybe by chance through an ad in the paper or ad through like Indeed or whatever. And yeah, the paper, I can't believe I said that. Oh, 1996, yeah. when we started this podcast. <laughs> but you know what I mean? They use Netscape and dial yeah, up. Yeah, Netscape. Yeah. Um, but my point being is it was like such a, to quote Larry Dineski, it was like my highest calling. Do you know what yeah. I mean? To this guy's life got changed. He got health insurance for his kid. He got a better paying job. He got stability. And I'm not saying it was because of me, but it was kind of because of me. And to me, that's like, what greater gift could I give this guy? And to this day, he thanks me. Whenever I see him, he goes, you've changed my life because you introduced me to these people and you believed that I could do this job. And I got the job with one interview because you spoke so highly of me. Mm-hmm. And the same goes for the people who work for me. You know, if you're good to me, I will be good to you. And when you make your employees number one, they make your customers number one. There's always that saying, make your customers number one. That's a complete lie. That's actually BS. You should make your employees number one within reason. Like you can't just give it all away, but you got to make your employees number one. You have to treat them the best you can. Give them everything that you think is in reason to live a comfortable life in this environment. If you make them number one, they will go out of the way to make your customers number one. And then in a way you've satisfied two people with mm-hmm. one one action. So... Um, where I was going with this is that's kind of something DNR is an AV company, but it's more of a, it provides for people, whether it's providing for the customer or the, or the, or the customer of a customer, right? Somebody goes to a theater and experiences a great show. Well, that really in theory indirectly was provided by us and somebody can, you know, have health insurance for their kids. I mean, you know, I, I live in Newtown now and one of your jobs was the Edmond town hall. Every time Kathleen and I go there, just the people next to us, you know, we'll hear them talking about how good it sounds or the lighting or... Live music. The movies need a little work there, but... Um, but, I mean, you know, people do notice that difference. I, I think, I think, and it makes, you know, f- first of all, Edmontown Hall charges way too little for pretty much everything they offer. They, they just, like, even like a dollar more, they, they'll 
I could charge five dollars yeah. more. I mean, yeah, the movies need some work, but everything else for live events there is actually but, really well done. Yeah, no, so and they do a great job, and they have a good following. But and you know, I know that's one of your jobs, so it's really cool to sometimes see that these things do get appreciated, and uh, everyone does really enjoy them. So where do you normally go with this? Where do you normally do a wrap? I mean, I feel like I've just given you my whole life story. But. Yeah, no, and I'm going to get you back on here at one point. We're going to, have to talk about sort of like your whole fitness side of things because that, that's where I normally tie this to. Is like I like to get a little bit of background. Yeah, on the it was because of an employee that brought me here. And then, I, I then we normally athletic. transition that into because I know, yeah, you were a bit of a tech nerd growing up. Yeah, I, I so, hated gym. I hated, I liked hiking. And the reason we know you or I know you is because of the gym. And it, you built, were, what a relationship that got built from that too, you know? Right. And it's funny because I remember when you first started coming here, you were someone I feel like I probably should have met or I may have met at some point. Like we had so many mutual friends. We like grew we up in Woodbury to together. No, yeah. pretty much a lot of the same people, but our paths never actually crossed. And I think the gym was something that brought us together. But the gym was not, you did not grow up playing sports. You were not an athlete. <laughs> oh, no, um, God, no. So no. The, the I gym love is, French fries. <laughs> Still do. Me too. Yeah. No, the gym was not a thing, but and I don't even know what sparked me to be into fitness. But I came here. I think I tried like doing a couple, going to like a. Well, you came here when I was in London, so it's just I know, Mikey. I met you, just and Mikey. I, I heard about this guy Donnie showing up, who's going to give us this. Like he was completely enraged by our sound system. It was brutal. <laughs> it was not acceptable. Yeah, I came here to work out, and of course, I mean, I guess I'm an a hole for critiquing your audio, and I'm not even a member at that point. But whatever, <laughs> it's what I do. Um, yeah, I had no interest in physical fitness and I'm not hundred percent sure how I even walked in the door. I mean, I know who brought me here Yes, and he brought me here and he's like, I, I think that this might be good for you. And I have to thank him for that. I don't thank him for much, but I'll thank him for that. I got hooked. I did like one or two workouts and I was like, this euphoric high after that workout. But the thing is the workouts are not boring, right? Like, so I would just like go to a treadmill gym. I, I tried and dabbled yeah. in some fitness and I'd gone. And you like, have a lot of gyms as clients. I have a ton of fill. I have a ton of physical fitness or fitness yeah. or like health and wellness for centers that we do like audio and video and training equipment for. And I, and I would in return the favor and become a member at those and try it. But like, I just had no motivation. I would just go and go, Go on a treadmill, and I'm like, well, I'm not, this is so boring. And I, or just go lift like free weights. No, and I came here, and it was like a class, and it was like structured, and it was like unique and different and weird gymnastic like movements. I was like, this is cool, you know? Yeah. Um, so I got hooked, and I, I think I got hooked because it didn't bore me and it was challenging. And, and trust me, I mean, there's your first CrossFit workout. You know, when you're just like laying on the floor dead because or, or you even got through the workout, there's like, a, you know, the endorphins are just ridiculous. It's just, you know, I, I can all I remember in the breathing and, you know, everything. So, you know, great. I've been on and off here quite a bit, um, depending, you know, life happens. But I, I, I got hooked and that was in 2011. You or When did you leave for London? You had just I, left. Yeah, we opened up in 2011. So I, I was gone for a portion of 2011 slash 12. And I think I came back. Uh, it must have been May or June of 2012. Yeah. Because we opened up in a, about, uh, it was July or August of 2011. Yeah, I um, I think it was definitely fall of 2011 that I started here because you yeah. just left for London. That I remember. Yeah, that's right. It was just you, me, and Mike. It was mm -hmm. a small gym. It was a different world back then. Very much. And here we are. So I think what we'll do is we'll make part two about fitness business relationships i mean you know how many relationships i've established outside of this gym and others <laughs> this is a networking center here this is you know it it's, is. A, it's a fitness center and, and i guess sometimes I mean, we could joke it's a social club but oh yeah, yeah there's a lot of networking that i mean you here. and i we honestly i mean the reason i'm living in newtown right now is 
partially because I lived with you at that house in Sandy Hook for a few years, and then I, I stayed there. Post moved yeah. out, and I, I continued to stay there. And then, so my wife, we, that was where we planted roots. But um, and and that happened because you and I became friends. I'm not saying like I moved you to Newtown, but that happened because you and I right. connected. You know, yeah, became roommates, which yeah. is really cool. That was those were great times. I mean, just like you know, you had that opportunity to connect that uh, person with that AV job. I, I think the gym is one of those places that really brings people together that wouldn't have been connected otherwise. Which a- is really cool. Absolutely, and I think the next podcast we'll talk about the relationships that have come out of this gym for not me, but just other people I know about that can be talked about and that are positive and good and. You know, just kind of there's there's a different. It's not just a gym. It's it's definitely there's a lot of good that comes out of the gym mm-hmm. that is not just physical fitness. A lot of positive energies and vibes and such. Yeah. So we'll we'll talk about that on part two. Don, I like it. Don, thank you so much for coming out today. I, I mean, you were here doing some open gym stuff. And I, was, it, we, I know, we and the, I know you guys were supposed to do your podcast on oh, a follow up, but you know, sorry, I didn't mean to hijack <laughs> your event. This is a rare uh, occasion. No, to yeah, sit this and is. Hang out. You're yeah. a hard person to track down. Not so possible. <laughs> I mean, I'll return your call. I'm just not going to be able to schedule something. <laughs> I like that. Don, thank you so much, man. Thank you, Mikey and Dan. Thanks for um, having me. I will share DNR's info and sort of the show notes and all that stuff for people as well as your your social media handles. People can find you guys on Instagram, Facebook. Our website, uh, our YouTube website. channel. Yeah, which has a lot of kind of You've done some. We'll talk a little bit more about next time, but you guys yeah. have done some really cool commercials recently that have really highlighted what you guys do. Yeah, so. And we've been involved in some pretty high profile projects who's Connecticut and New York that I'd love to just maybe yeah. talk about, you know. Awesome. Don, appreciate it. Thank you, Dan. Thank you for listening to another episode of Strongtown Talks. If you enjoyed the show, please feel free to leave us a rating or review. We are always grateful for any feedback we get. 